Welcome to this episode of STATS, the podcast where we share the accomplishments of the Department of Surgery at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center, Temple. I am Dr. Lonnie Gentry. My guest today is Dr. Ram Reddy, the co-director of the Cardiovascular Institute and the director of cardiothoracic surgery. Under Dr. Reddy's leadership, the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery recently received the coveted three-star rating from the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, or SDS. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Reddy about this achievement. Dr. Reddy, welcome to STATS. Lonnie, thank you so much for having me here. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you in the past, and uh, certainly it's a pleasure to be here and to uh, hopefully um, uh, tell people how we did this and uh, why we're here. Well, I know you've got a great story, and I'm excited that we have the opportunity to talk about it and share it with others in this episode. Before we talk about what's happened here at Temple, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you ended up going into medicine and even why cardiothoracic surgery? The story is not actually not that interesting because I decided extremely early in life that I'd be a physician. And I was inspired by a family physician who uh, uh, happened to take care of us when we were kids. And um, I just I just um, I thought the world of him and uh, decided when I was four or five years old that I would be a physician and I never changed. And uh, uh, by the time I got to med school, I was pretty certain I was going to be a surgeon. And uh, in my second year of med school, I, uh, I, I went down to watch uh, cardiac surgery and uh, uh, about five minutes later, I decided I'd be a, a heart surgeon. So <laughs> essentially, it's a, it's a simple, straightforward story. But for me, um, I, I think uh, one that I've been extremely lucky with. Uh, it's not everybody that gets to get employed in what they love. And I absolutely enjoy doing this. And uh, I'm not sure that I'd want to do something else. You didn't start in America, right? You didn't grow up here. You grew up in India? Yes. When did you and your family come to America? Well, I, um, I actually spent my entire childhood in, in India, went to med school in India, um, did my surgical training in India, and then came here basically for the academics. And um, I was um, actually quite uh, highly thought of in India and uh, uh, would have done quite well there, but I wanted to come here for the academics because I thought that it was important for me to learn a little bit more than uh, I would have learned otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, um, it's been a great journey uh, in the U.S. for me. I've been very fortunate, and here we are. So when you came to America, did you have to train, do some additional training? Not just additional training. I had to redo all of my training other than med school. So uh, my med school training was recognized, but then all of my surgical training had to be redone. Uh, So I went through general surgery (laughs) and cardiac surgery again, and... uh, um, in some ways, it was great because, uh, you know, uh, you need to put in the hours in order to get good. And uh, when you go through a training, uh, you never get to put in as many hours as you do when you're in training. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got to put in a lot of hours, and uh, I think that stood me in good stead. Some of your previous places that you, before you came to Temple, like kind of your journey to Temple... What were some of those places and any significant events or turning points along the way? So I, um, I, I initially I came to New York. I, I did my general surgical training in Brooklyn, New York. 
And uh, during that uh, period of time, I went down to uh, uh, the NIH for a couple of years. And um, that, for me, was a very, very significant period of time where uh, I got to train under Dr. Richard Clark and Dr. French Anderson and learned uh, molecular biology, learned uh, uh, animal animal work, which I had not done in India at all. So um, uh, that was an important uh, step for me in my progression. And then um, after that, I went to Pittsburgh, where I trained at the Allegheny General Hospital, which at that time was one of the better programs in the country, and still is. But uh, at that time, it was particularly a very busy and very well-rounded program, and uh, um, and I'm very grateful for my training there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask a real layman question here. You're a cardiothoracic surgeon, so I know that means heart and lung. So can you tell me a little bit about the surgeries that you do and what parts of the body are involved? So it's interesting. So um, as a cardiothoracic surgeon, you are trained to perform surgery on anything within the chest. So the blood vessels in the chest, the heart, the lungs, the esophagus, the lymph nodes, the mediastinum, which is the thymus, etc. So we're trained to do all of those things. Uh, most of us then eventually specialize into one of three things. Either we do uh, kids, that's congenital heart surgery, kids, or we do adult heart surgery, or we do adult thoracic surgery. I was indeed trained to do pediatric surgery, but uh, I gave that up many years ago. I do only adult surgery at this point. And while I was in New York, I did both cardiac and thoracic surgery. In fact, I was the only person at Mount Sinai privileged to do both, and very grateful to uh, uh, to my chair uh-huh. there for allowing me to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, but I have tended to concentrate more on cardiac surgery over the last two, three years, and um, uh, simply because the our needs here were much higher, and so it was important for me to to spend my time taking care of the cardiac surgical mm-hmm. uh, division. This is probably a good place to introduce the rating system uh, and have you explain uh, what that is. So I'm going to start by reading from the website of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, and this is how the website describes this rating system. The STS STAR rating system is one of the most sophisticated and highly regarded overall measures of quality in healthcare. Rating the benchmark outcomes of cardiothoracic surgery programs across the United States and Canada. The STAR rating is calculated using a combination of quality measures for specific procedures performed by an STS adult cardiac surgery database participant. Now, that's a mouthful. (laughs) So how would you explain it to just everyday patients? So in general, what you're trying to do is compare apples to apples. In other words, it's very difficult to compare what is done in one hospital to what's done in another hospital. The Society for Thoracic Surgeons is trying to produce a common framework such that these results can be compared. So it takes into account mortality, that is the number of patients that make it through the operation and the number that don't. It takes into account the number of patients that have complications and those that don't. And it takes into account the type and severity of the cases that we operate upon. So based on all of these things, common ratings are created and an algorithm is used 
to weight each of these things so that then the star rating is produced. The bottom 5% of programs are considered one-star programs. The top 20% are considered three-star programs, and everybody else falls into the two-star category. The, the way it works, the measures use confidence limits, and because they use confidence limits, the smaller your program, the smaller the number of patients you have, the wider the confidence limits, and so it's very difficult to get up to a three-star program for a smaller program such as us. So we're actually very proud and very grateful that even in a smaller program, we've been able to achieve the three-star rating. When I got here, uh, we had just been rated one star. And so in two and a half years, we've gotten to a three-star rating, which uh, um, I'm very grateful to the staff, the institution for the support, and uh, uh, certainly for my colleagues for uh, uh, the hard work that was put into this. So you mentioned it was one star when you arrived, recently received the one-star rating, and I understand you had a five-year plan when you got here in 2019. Uh, was that your five-year plan to get to three? Well, actually, I said I'd get to get to three in my third year, and oh, we did it. you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you still have a little bit left on your plan. Can you yes. describe your plan? And I'm sure it was more than just get three. I'm sure there was a lot of pieces to that. Well, my interview journey here was actually quite interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to C-Suite for having put in the kind of time and effort that it took to actually uh, put down what it would take to build a beautiful program here. When I came here, I spent uh, a lot of time talking to people and uh, uh, looking at things on the ground, and uh, I gave them a presentation of where we were, where we want to be, and what we need to get there. Clearly, we want to be among the best programs in the country. We want to have an academic mission um, because that's the mission of the hospital and the system. And we want to have a teaching program here. And certainly we want to take good care of patients. So all of these formed components of my plan. I set milestones up for each year and we've hit all of our third year milestones already. We're working on our fourth year milestones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I understand your strategy is not to use the heart-lung bypass machine and to operate only on beating heart patients. So can you explain that strategy and why it's significant? You know, that's actually controversial. I don't think it should be, but it is. And part of the reason for that is that beating heart surgery is more technically challenging. And so a lot of people don't like to do it. That doesn't take away from its utility and from its importance as a technique and technology that's available to us. There are two ways to obtain good results. The first way is to just do lower-risk patients because it stands to reason that if your predicted mortality is low, your available mortality is going to be or your observed mortality is going Mm -hmm. to be low. On the other hand, there's a second side to this. So if you only accept low-risk patients, what happens to the high-risk patients? The high-risk patients then get denied care. And disproportionately, high-risk patients tend to do poorly without surgery. And so the alternative 
viewpoint that I espouse is that you should be able to take on these high-risk patients and obtain the exact same results that somebody else can get. In other words, it's incumbent on us to learn how to mitigate risk and how to handle high-risk patients so that we get the same results as institutions that do not do high-risk cases. So if you look at what we have done here, our risk category is probably over twice the national average. That is our STS risk score. Mm -hmm. But our mortality is well under the STS average. Mm -hmm. Some of that is, you know, the post-operative care, uh, which we have put a team in place. Some of it is the use of the off-pump platform. The off-pump platform is, let's just back up a little bit. The normal coronary bypass is where you put the patient on a heart-lung machine, Mm. then you stop the heart, you work on the heart, and then you reanimate the heart. Now, the heart-lung machine is great because it affords you the ability to do that, but as with everything else in medicine, it's a two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You know, just as it helps, it can hurt as well. And so... Our feeling is that if you want to take on high-risk patients, you do them off-pump, and you avoid the trauma to the blood of going through a heart-lung machine. And so I've recruited people here who are committed to the same goal as I am. My colleagues, Dr. Tavila and Dr. Malhotra, have done a fantastic job of staying. Our conversion rate from off-pump to on-pump, that is that just understand that just because we're not putting the patient in the heart-lung machine doesn't mean the heart-lung machine is not available to us. Mm. It's always available to us as a backup just in case something doesn't work. Our conversion rate is about 1%, which is a fantastic conversion rate. Even in the best centers, it's usually somewhere from 2 to 3%. Uh, we've been lucky. That doesn't mean that tomorrow we won't convert a couple of people and then go to 2 to 3%, yeah. but still... What it just tells you is our commitment to this technology and our feeling that this actually helps people to stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So this attracts the sickest of patients? I mean, the patients that you see are the high-risk, very sick patients. Well, it's actually interesting. Central Texas is, in general, an underserved area. Uh Um, We, as an institution don't have any major competition, if you will, but substitute that for there's no other major facilities in Uh that geographic area of about 50, 60 miles. Uh And that means that there's a large body of people that present to us quite late. You know, when Uh, you're in a place like New York where you've got 20 institutions within a a small geographic area, People tend to get screened. People tend to get early care. People here tend to show up late. And when you show up late, your risk category is a little higher. And if your risk category is higher, you tend to get turned away, which means that you get denied care. Now, we've stopped that. We will accept them. We will Uh operate on them. And uh, we've learned how to mitigate the risk. Obviously, as I recall, your mortality rate is 
0.5%, I think it was, or one out of 186 is under, yes. if I recall correctly. Yes. So actually, it was very interesting. Our We have zero, We last year we had zero mortality from an operative mortality standpoint. That uh-huh. is that patients come into the hospital, get operated on, get discharged, go home. That's considered operative mortality. And then there's a second substance which is called 30-day mortality, and that is somebody that goes home but gets into trouble afterwards mm-hmm. and then passes. And that's, that's still, for the STS, that's still recorded. Mm-hmm. For other uh, databases, it is not. It's only the operative mortality that counts. So our operative mortality was zero, but we mm-hmm. did have one patient that died at three weeks. So um, I'm very, very grateful for all of those things. I mean, this kind of result doesn't happen if the team doesn't function as a as a unit. If the institution doesn't give us a tremendous amount of support. If the direct leadership within the Department of Surgery is not supportive of the division, none of these things can happen. So I'm actually very grateful for the support we have received. And uh, hopefully, with continued support, we can build this even more. Have you set any new goals, or what do you see in the future? Every year, we have a process where we sit down with the staff and decide what we want to do for the year. Yes, we do have some very important goals, including building a larger program, obviously increasing volume, building our heart failure program, which is assist devices, transplantation, et cetera, which is, there's a huge need in Central Texas for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are very interested in building our valve program. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a huge need in Central Texas, and these patients are, for the most part, untreated. And the biggest goal for this year is to try to identify techniques of identifying these patients and bringing them into attention because we have the platform here at this institution to help them. But unless we can identify them and bring them into attention, we can't help them. And so that's where we are. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Ray. I know you're extremely busy and I appreciate you taking the time to come over and talk to us about this. And I know a lot of people are going to appreciate hearing from you about it and getting some insights into what you've accomplished here. And I wish you the very best. And to all of our listeners, thanks for listening and look forward to the next Stats Podcast, which will be forthcoming very soon. Thank you, Lonnie. Thank you, everybody.